I'm Jason Klom, and this is the Comedy on Vinyl podcast. The year is 1965. The album, You Don't Have to Be Jewish. The artist, Bob Booker and George Foster. My guest this week is the delightful Lisa Popiel. Thank you so much for doing the show. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for asking. So um, we talked about this briefly, but I obviously sought you out because uh, I, I was very sad when I missed getting to see the No Strings Attached tour and therefore getting to see you perform in a song about your own father, which has got to be a, a very weird experience. <laughs> So, because uh, for those who don't know, you probably know that I'm a huge Weird Al fan. For those who do not know, Lisa sings, you sing on the, on the original album, you sing background for Mr. Popeil, and then you perform with, with Al among uh, many other people. But Well, it all started in, I believe it was in 1983, and he was recording the In 3D album. And mm-hmm. I got a call from his manager, Jay Levy, to see if I'd be interested in singing on this song. And it's really about my dad, Seymour, SJ, Sam Popeil, and my brother, Ron Popeil, and any other marketer of, of silly late night TV items that every home needs to have. Uh-huh. Uh, so it was, it was a general pay on to a late night television hawking. And it was, it was based on the B-52's Rock Lobster song. Right. So we, we tried to match that silly, you know, nays really, Mr. Popeil, Mr. Popeil. Uh, and then I've sung on a number of his albums over the years. And when we've been, we've been friends all these years. And a couple of years ago, we uh, called and asked if I would be interested in singing on tour with him. He'd never toured with uh, backup singers before. Right, yeah. He went over the top. I'd, he'll never be able to, all his shows will be great. I've talked to his fans and I've ta- I've said to them, What's it going to be like when he doesn't have a full orchestra and right. backup singers and the lights? And it was it was just so over the top massive. They said <laughs> and several people said to me, whatever he does, we're going to love it because we know he's put a lot of thought into it and we know it's going to be great. So it's true. I, I, what could I say about that? And so right. many people would come up to me uh, after the show and just be very emotional, you know, thank you, thank you for the magic. It's very moving. Love it. it's so, good. Uh, so I'm glad it happened last year and we got to I have know, such a huh? successful tour and to be able to, to have that, experience that life, even though, you know, none of us were in our 20s, mm-hmm. uh, the geezer tour, but to be <laughs> able to sleep on a tour bus. Who gets that experience, you know? Right. Yeah. And, and we were treated really nice. It was a real nice, nice family environment. We all took care of each other and we had really nice hotel rooms to boot. So it was it was one of the great experiences of my life and I'm so grateful to have had that opportunity. Uh so good you know al we talk about it a lot that you know not only is everybody in al's band including al incredibly talented musicians but you have to be a talented mimic and you were just talking about having to you know imitate uh the sound of the b-52s is that something that comes up a lot in your work because you also coach voice but i mean is it something that you have to do is uh, ever think about is uh, mimicry or i think i've always been a mimic and originally I loved languages. So when I was a kid, I was one of those annoying 
<laughs> knowing kids who is making up languages and imitating other languages and doing dialects. In fact, my first job, I was eight years old and I, <clears throat> excuse me, and I, I played a, a little boy, a Portuguese boy, Brazilian boy for some Christian radio show. And I remember <laughs> receiving my first check and that was very exciting. I thought, oh my gosh. I want to do more of this. So I've always been interested in mimicry mm -hmm. and trying to get it as as precisely as I can. And how that's turned into my, how I use that in my teaching is, is trying to have mastered vocal styles sure. and how to teach vocal styles so that if I sing country or I sing R&B or I sing opera, I want it to sound like a completely different person. Okay. And so I've reverse engineered uh, to the best of my ability what great singers in each of these individual styles are doing, I would mimic them and yeah. figure out what they were doing and, and, and watching them sing live and just absolutely mimicking them both visually and sonically mm -hmm. and then able to pass that on. So it's, it's, it's a, I turned a little quirk into a big part of what I do as a, as a teacher. Did you ever have trouble knowing what your own voice was? Because I can only sing by mimicking. So I have trouble sometimes recognizing my own singing voice. Like I don't knowing think what we is. have one voice. I mean, think about Rich Fair. Little. Think about people who can, sound, or Bill Hader. I mean, he, mm -hmm. he what he can do with his voice. So we can sound like helicopters and lawnmowers and animals. And we can sound, you can, we can sound like, men or women or children or dinosaurs so i'm not of the school that thinks that you have a singing voice you have uh, a voice that may come out if you just sort of talk and then when you sing it sounds like your talky voice talking voice that is just one of the myriad things that that humans can do with their voices and then there's culture when you look at what are the styles that are considered uh, or what, what is considered beautiful singing or mm -hmm. talented singing. It changes from culture to culture. True. I remember once years ago, I was watching this TV show. It was in China, and there was this guy in a white Nehru jacket, skinny, young Chinese guy, white Nehru jacket with a, 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 a boa around his neck. Love and it. he was making sounds that were considered pop music at the time, but mm -hmm. they were nothing like our pop music. And his, sure. his vibrato was akin to our turkey gobble so amazing so, yeah, what's considered cool or impressive is culturally related to it's mm -hmm. it's not just uh there's one universal sound that people revere it's mm -hmm. but i have to say that you know when i work with people i love opera and i love black music i mean they mm -hmm. r&b american black american music african-american music however you know many syllables you want to add it does seem to be loved worldwide, mm -hmm. and I find that really interesting. You really can't go wrong if you can sing soulfully with that kind of sound and if you can do the licks. Mm -hmm. Pretty much in, people go, yeah, that's good. That's interesting. That's pretty fascinating to me. How, uh, what's, what are there, we are going to get into the album, but I'm obviously super fascinated with so much of your whole life and your work. Uh, for, honestly, I... I can't stop thinking about uh, how you grew up in the house, uh, the successful version of the dad and gremlins. If that's a reference, it's at all going to play with you because that guy was no, an, a I'm terrible inventor. But... I'm going to rewatch the movie then. No, <laughs> the, yes. The lead guy there is like, here, here's a thing that does 12 different things. And here is a six. He clearly feels like he's modeled after your dad, but like, doesn't know what he's doing. 
<laughs> and it's great. Oh my goodness, as I have to watch that again. Yeah. Well, the thing with my both my dad and my brother, mm -hmm. it, maybe more so with my dad because my dad started in the in the forties, was that there was always a level of humor to it. There was mm -hmm. an earnestness about creating products and getting the most use out of them. You know, things like the Vegematic. You know, sure. it didn't just do one thing or the the pocket fisherman, it, you mm -hmm. had to look at all the benefits and to convince people that they needed to have this thing. Of course. And, but I also know that when he would work on them and so maniacally, like a, like a dog with a bone in his mouth, mm -hmm. there was also kind of a humor about it. Like, you know, he knew it wasn't brain surgery. <laughs> sure, sure, yeah. He knew it wasn't gonna bring world peace. So there was this, and, and, and he was Jewish. And so, and that was kind of leading, you know, to what we're going to of course, yeah. talking about in part, which is Jewish humor and this, this sense that I know I'm being funny on some level, no matter what I do, I know I'm being funny about it. And, and so he, he had that as part of his personality. One time he was, we were in the kitchen and this was, this was in the seventies and we were making dinner and we were chopping vegetables for for the salad and i is a story i've told before but i there were some mushrooms and i and there were, weren't many so i took the, the cutting board and a knife what his knife one of his knives i still uh -huh. have it, still use it unsharpened yes. after all these years love it. it still works and i would slice the the mushrooms and he said well, don't you want to use the Vegematic? <laughs> I said, but dad, by the time I get the thing out of the box and I set it up and I rinse it and we da -da -ba -da 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 get it back, I said, you know, dinner will be over. And he said, really without laughing, he should have, but he, without laughing, he said, but don't you want perfect slices? <laughs> <laughs> I laughed, okay, dad. So we just took the time to make Love perfect it. slices out of the, the three or four mushrooms I hadn't uh. gotten to yet. Holy cow. That's delight. I mean, that's what you would hope for and you don't assume happens with people. Is that kind of that level of self-awareness. But I think also it also comes with, I think, making a lot of stuff or being in charge of the making of a lot of stuff. Uh, speaking as someone who's made a billion things that have gone nowhere, but like making a bunch of things and keeping and trying because that's what inventing is and creating is like you have to have a sense of humor about it. You do because you don't know what will be successful. Mm -hmm. You really don't. I mean, some of my brother's best products and, and my dad's too weren't successful. And mm -hmm. there's so many, just like in life, it, talent doesn't make success. Brilliance doesn't make success mm -hmm. necessarily. Uh, sure. Hard work doesn't, it, it, there's a, a, you know, there's a timing, the, the planets have to line up. Yeah. But when you put your full self into it, um, you can't, I, I couldn't help but be impressed. Plus, I really appreciated that both my, my dad and my brother loved the work. They loved getting up and getting to work. And yeah. I hadn't seen a lot of that. I hadn't seen a lot of people who really felt that their work was, that they were passionate about their work. And sure. I'm passionate about my work. And I, I, I feel blessed and it burdened sometimes uh -huh. to feel as passionate as I do. And you know what that feels like. It's mm -hmm. like you, you put so much time, but you can't help it. You know, when you're right. smart, I think when the when you're smart, your brain is on. Yeah. Even when I'm sleeping, the you know, brain is on. But particularly when I'm awake, the brain mm -hmm. is on. And if I'm not actively being creative, 
Mm-hmm. or creating product or solving problems, which is how I thought about my dad's work. He was just solving problems one by one. Mm-hmm. That's what business is. It's just a matter of just a list of solving problems and then on to the next problem that you solve. Um, that if our brains do not have an outlet for activity, it feels like the brain starts to eat itself. Yeah. And you get depressed and you get anxious and you mull over the same stupid, boring things over and over for again. For sure, yeah. So we, I feel we have, some of us out there, for better or worse, have to be creative uh, <laughs> just to stay sane. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely true. What's also striking me, by the way, because, uh, you know, not to say too much of what, we've already had like a lengthy conversation and it could have gone on for an hour because you... What is it that your family has? Because the thing is, there's an energy. There is, and I don't know if the salesmanship just came down to you, but like your energy, and obviously you're a, a vocal performer, but it's all there. And it's like, right now you could sell me just about anything. <laughs> so I'm trying to figure out like what, what of your dads you think you got? And your mother's, we can talk about your mother as well, but like, I'm just curious. It, some of that must have come through oh, as a my performer. dad it's yeah it's the the love of work the love of solving problems mm-hmm. l- looking for problems that you can solve mm-hmm. <laughs> problems that you didn't even know existed fair sure yeah um i don't have this food any... is too wet how do i make it drier <laughs> i don't have an interest in the kitchen though mm-hmm. but i must say in our our time of eating at home i have a new appreciation for the kitchen mm-hmm. but i always wanted to I didn't wasn't interested in going to the family business, and to me, yeah. the family business business implied that you'd spend a lot of time in the kitchen. Fair. And I just think that the fun, just the fun that one can have, and yeah. another thing, uh, another thing, my dad and and Ron too, they love food, and mm-hmm. my dad's whole family, they were really into food, and I don't know if that's a Jewish American thing, mm-hmm. but especially when my dad was retired, he and his his relatives and his friends. They would plan on where they were going for lunch and they would talk. Then they would discuss over lunch in detail what they were having and how it compared. (laughs) And then after lunch, they would talk about where they were going for dinner and compare all of that and the history of the food. So it was incredibly food oriented. Uh huh. That sounds like the ideal life for me. This is amazing. Oh, oh, I, I, and I do it. If I, I didn't know if I could be happy sitting here making my own food because I love going out to restaurants. You know, that's yeah. the one of the first things I want to do when I get, get back that. to some kind of quote unquote normal is mm-hmm. restaurants, you know, where <laughs> I just get to experience everything about it, you know. So I, I definitely got got that. But my brother Ron, I saw him a few weeks ago. He's gonna be eighty-five this year. Wow. And he is still working on a product. He's been working on oh it in at least fifteen years. Uh, he's retired, but he can't stop. And I may sure. wind up being the same. I go, oh, yes, retirement is approaching. <laughs> I must think about my ties in Tahiti. But I don't think that's possible. I think I'll no. be carrying on the family <laughs> tradition of, of, of trying to teach or trying to find someone who wants to learn something about singing until I'm toes up. <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, why, you, stopping learning doesn't make any sense. What the fuck are you doing if you if you stop learning? You know, but you got to so keep going. It's so sad that we can't take it with us. You know, I think yeah. it's like, but I can pass it on. And Absolutely. So that's my legacy. I don't have children. Mm-hmm. So I feel like my work is is my, my child that I've been molding it for really over 50 years. I've mm-hmm. been passionate about singing and trying to figure out how to be good because i wasn't i was 
totally average. Mm-hmm. And so everything I've learned from my, my all the teachers I've had and the experimentation is just I just wanted to be a good singer. I didn't need to be a famous singer. Well, in the eighties, yes, I did. I was a singer songwriter, and I mm-hmm. wanted to be big, big, of big, big. I wanted. Uh, you know, multimedia shows and touring and costumes and stylists and um, working with great musicians uh, and being able to call up my favorite music, you know, be a fangirl, be able to call sure. people up and have them take my call. It actually happened a couple times. So I'm a big yes fan. And I got to work with with John Anderson and do Love a clap track with Chris Squire. So that was that was a great That's day. That's amazing. And my my one I did an album. Mm-hmm. You'll never hear it. Well, that's not true because I, I'm actually going to be putting it up on Good. one of my fans. I actually have like five fans. One <laughs> of them wants to put it up on YouTube. So Good. Um, my all somewhere. my '80s songs are going to be available on some uh, probably CD Baby, maybe mm-hmm. you know, the album on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm just revisiting my '80s life as a wannabe uh, pop star. And and like instead of them just moldering on a, a closet shelf somewhere, I'm mm-hmm. I feel like I'm saying no, you're you're good, you're good. Maybe right. I'm working with a music supervisor. Who knows? Maybe the one or more will be in an upcoming movie, and that would make me very It'd be very amazing, happy. right? Oh my god, that would be amazing. A good product doesn't go bad, you know. That's that's <laughs> and that's it's the same with music. I so was your father? What generation American was your father? Well, he was born in 1915, mm-hmm. and he um, he was. Um, I, I just found his draft card from World War II. He didn't go. Flat uh-huh. feet, bad vision. I got that both of those two. Fun. Uh, <laughs> and he really started. He didn't. He and his brother didn't finish high school. They just started working. You know, the Depression era, I should say. Mm-hmm. And I think Depression era. New York, Brooklyn, um, makes you think a lot about money, mm-hmm. money, 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 money and food, money and food. That was the, you know, very, and, and status. Sure. Status without having, having had the benefit of an education. So mm-hmm. that was, I, I remember going to a, a, a carpet store with him when I was little and he said, told the, the salesman, he said, you know, I really like this carpet, but show me your best one. Mm-hmm. Meaning what's your most expensive carpet? Sure. And the salesman showed him the most expensive because well that's what i'll take this is depression era who s- suddenly has money i'll just take the, the most expensive thing you have and that'll make me happy so yeah 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 <laughs> that's fascinating where uh where were his parents from i'm i'm always curious about like what uh, you know how many levels removed you are from you know the old Europe, country as it were yeah. the old country mm-hmm. um, his his parents were both born uh, in New York. So mm-hmm. it's his, um, is it his grandparents? Uh-huh. I think his grandparents came over. I've, I've been doing genealogy and I've hit a few brick walls. That's, there that's are a number of Samuel Popeels in the records, okay. Jacobs, Isaacs, all the biblical names, multiple ones with similar birth dates. So yep. I, I, any, there's, if you have any Jewish genealogy people out there, please give me a call. I want to talk to you <laughs> because I, I really just want to get at least one more generation back, but right. uh, it's Polish, Jew, Galicia. Mm-hmm. It all all the paperwork says Austria, though. But that's mm-hmm. because for a time that area was part of the Austro-Hungarian all Empire. Right. Yeah. But we now think of it as it's Polish, Polish Jew, and maybe some little Ukrainian or Lithuanian in there. And that's his side of the family. And then my mother, my mother was of. Um, uh, you know, uh, a hillbilly from Alabama, from uh, Irish, mostly Irish. Okay. 
Uh, but and they, I think they go back to the U.S. in the 1700s. So it was the first group of the Irish Scots people who settled in Appalachia in the 1700s. Okay. And that's why I got the, the eyes. <laughs> that did not come from the Jewish side. <laughs> uh, when did you first hear, let's get into it, uh, you don't have to be Jewish. When did you first hear that album? It was a, a fan. We had albums. You Just know, sitting around, had, yeah. Yeah, we had Xavier Cougat, which I loved, and Connie Francis singing songs from Italy, folk songs from Italy, and um, and we had this "You Don't Have to Be Jewish" record, and I enjoyed it a lot when I was a kid. I was 1965, so I'd have been nine years old, mm -hmm. and some of the the shtick, some of the the I don't know what do you call them? They're not clips. What do you call them? The well, I mean, I, I always call them That's, clips or the tracks or whatever, or whatever you want to call it. But they, they actually had a term the for the small ones. The yeah, bit. the bits. I yeah, a bit. Oh, okay, That's yeah. That's a good one. Mm -hmm. So several of the bits mm -hmm. I had remembered, like the, the Plotnik Diamond. There's a voice <laughs> with the Plotnik Diamond. Really? What is it? Mr. Plotnik. <laughs> I mean, kills me. And so after we spoke, I listened to it again and just, and just appreciated the timing of these oh, yeah. people, oh, yeah. the dialect, this this American Yiddish dialect that is just—I don't know why it's so funny. Right. Um, it's. Do you know why it's funny? You know, I've been th now. Here's the thing: I think about it a lot, but not being Jewish myself, like I hesitate to try and analyze it too much because then it comes from this dumb goy outsider perspective mm -hmm. that I don't think isn't as as accurate or important to think about as a Jewish person's perspective. But all I know is that it's definitely it's for me, it's informed all the comedy since before I was born. So it's it's in everything that I watch inevitably yes. well, from a Jewish writer or not, you know, or performer. I think it's in there. Now. I agree. It's, mm -hmm. it's fascinating. To see, and I don't know how similar it is to old country humor mm -hmm. or or necessarily the, the Yiddish theater, uh, because I never experienced that in the, you know, the 1800s or early mm -hmm. 1900s. I just know starting really around, I guess, the 20s um, is when this 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 humor that went through the, the 60s really happened, where people still like Blue Jacoby would still have this accent. You don't mm -hmm. hear it, hear it much anymore, even among the Orthodox or the, uh -huh. you know, the Hasidics. They, it, it's not as strong as it used to be. Right. But the timing that's always gets yeah. me. It's like. Miss the Plotnik. You have to get it the melody just right and yeah. time. You can't rush it. Mm -hmm. what, what's funny is, I, so I was watching it, you know, just because it was easier to just watch it on YouTube. And as it ended, I didn't realize it had ended immediately because what happened immediately was there was a Myron Cohen bit. And that's a man who's a master of both like switching in and out of the accent. Well, the melody is different. That's for it. sure. Yes, da, definitely. Melody. So melody plays a huge part in, well, obviously in, in humor, but yes. in, in different languages. So mm -hmm. uh, that's a big, it's a big part of, because of, I also teach accent reduction. So oh. I work with people, wow. a lot of Persians. Uh-huh. Um, but so, so many, many different types, but I've had a, a number of Persians recently and, and uh -huh. Russian. And, okay. you know, we, I'll do their melody. I'll speak English with American English with their melody. And then I'll show them our melody. So it's, it's, um, and that comes from the, the music, the music ear, the mimic able to. Yeah, yeah. So when next time you listen to it, listen to the, see, I'm teaching. I can't help myself. No, I love it. I love it. 
if I'm on online, I'm teaching um, <laughs> about the melody and you kind of can hum, hum along with it and realize, mm -hmm. oh yeah, we don't, that's not a melody that we, we typically yeah. use here. Yeah. That's fascinating. I don't know if I ever heard the sequel though. Did you have, have No, you and I'm I don't I was looking. I don't think I even own it. I own a lot of their albums just because mm -hmm. I'm particularly fascinated, but I don't own it. I was wondering when did that even come out? I had it pulled up, but um Well, that's uh, it's the same people though, right? Mm -hmm. The same people who did it. Yeah, what, exactly. What's the relationship between the the people who did you don't have to be Jewish or produced it mm -hmm. and the first family and didn't you mention there's some yeah so Bob Booker is the connecting piece and he's still around uh, he lives in Northern California I've been trying to get a hold of him he uh, I think his yeah his first record was the first family then he did the sequel oh yeah and this is his third album um yeah this is his third album and i i'm actually trying to look and see if he's even technically credited yes he is credited on the the sequel i think but yeah he's a, is he a writer is he a yes he was a writer for sure i don't think he performs on any of them i'm not sure about earl dowd his comedy well or george foster sorry because earl dowd was his comedy sorry it, there's just there's too many he's the the main okay. focus so the group of writers mm -hmm. who conceived these these three right yeah these weird live performed sketch performances that i can't picture how they're put on at all because again some of these are short bits where it's just like two people are just like talking and talking for you know 10 seconds and it's over i don't know i how was it... trying to imagine the the room this was it was was it a theater there was right. a lot of reverb it seemed like they weren't mm. in a it was like almost like a gymnasium almost i i didn't uh -huh. I, or was it a dinner theater i i was looking around to see if i could find out because the audience was fantastic. Yes. Oh, they're digging it. Perfect audience. Mm -hmm. um, and I just was trying to imagine, I was trying to visualize where are they when they did this? Mm -hmm. I'm trying to see. Sometimes they have the back of their, what am I doing? I literally own it. It's right here. I'm an idiot. Oh. <laughs> I'm looking online to see if I can find something that's literally in front of me. Uh, let's see here. Okay. Do, 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 do. Sound effects. Recording engineer. Album recorded live in mono at Fine Recording Studios in New York City. So just, wow. yeah, in a studio. Interesting. And there's so many, I mean, there are tons of like, there are names that maybe people don't recognize as much anymore, but faces for sure you would recognize uh, on here. My goodness, there's a lot of people in here. Uh, there's one lady, uh, Betty Walker, who had her own, a few of her own albums, who is brilliant, really underappreciated and really funny. My God, there's so many. Jack Guilford. Valerie Harper on? She's on the sequel from what I saw because, <clears throat> pardon me, one of the folks couldn't make it onto the second one, uh, but she's she's definitely in the sequel. For sure. I, which, again, I think I'm going to need to pick up. So this was recorded in June 1965. So they just busted this out as fast as they recorded it. That's interesting. Uh -huh. It's funny that they just went right from, well, we can't make fun of the president as much anymore. Not in the same way, obviously. So let's pick something else we know, which is Jewish culture, I assume, you know. And I'm assuming these are based on old bits. Like some of these f feel very like tried and true and tested and, and uh, there are the, that skills approved <laughs> right exactly and i a lot of them are obviously jewish mother jokes like that's what so many of them are uh I love that jewish mother bit about does that mean you're not coming when <laughs> such a good bit oh it's so funny <laughs> oh the whole thing is just built upon jewish mother's guilt just laying it on so thick Wait, do you have? Do I have the right number? Oh, that's so good. 
Oh, it's a brilliant bit. That's really, really fun. I what resonated the most for you as a kid? Is it just this is funny, or did you recognize any any familial stuff? What yes. did it feel familiar to you? It, it did because of my father's relatives. Mm-hmm. You know, they'd say beautiful, which typically has three syllables. They would say beautiful. Mm-hmm. You know, they would put give it at least four. You know, that sort of thing. But so it was semi-familiar, not mm-hmm. in, necessarily in my household. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't see that kind of talking, but sure. Uh, but humor, definitely. My my dad had a really a really dry sense of humor, <clears throat> and I noticed when I'm talking to my excuse me <clears throat> when I talk to my sister Pamela that that Jewishy humor comes out in me, and I have uh-huh. to be careful about it because it's it it's it has a critical side to it. A mm-hmm. little, put down element in it and like all the show words, you know, schmuck, schlemiel, these are this, these are that, that everybody's stupid. And mm-hmm. and so I have to be a little careful because I don't know if my humor is always going to be appreciated. <laughs> <laughs> At least that part, that part of my humor. Right. But in my workshops, I, I think I just let loose and, 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 People say, Lisa, you should have a stand-up show. I said, why? Because you're so funny. I said, I am because I, I don't, I'm not aware of it. I'm just on. I'm just right. on, and I'm enjoying being with all these people. And I, uh, I don't listen back to what I said. Sometimes I just find myself laughing. So mm-hmm. that I became associated with Weird Al and Frank Zappa. To me, Frank Zappa, it's it just odd to me that I got uh, associated with humorous content through no actual pursuing on my own mm-hmm. like the out my my work with al such as it is is um it came from a phone call mm-hmm. uh, i was in a in a magazine called los angeles magazine and he was i was trying to you know had a publicist and i had my name and bio and his he was in the next column over and so mm-hmm. he saw me and they go, oh i think i'll write a song about that and maybe she'll come and she'll sing love on it so, love it um and then the whole frank zappa thing was a, a complete fluke i was i didn't know his music i but I, oh i went to cal arts i don't know you have a relationship with cal arts yes uh-huh i'm working there at the moment yeah oh cool mm-hmm. well i i went i was at CalArts for five years. Oh, wow. Okay. From uh, 1976. And then I graduated with a master's in voice in 1980, 1980. My goodness. And um, so, so a bunch of CalArtians, I love that term, mm-hmm. uh, Cal worked for Frank Zappa. And my oh, boyfriend, okay. who was a fan, was a drummer and wanted to audition for the upcoming tour. So I just went to help give him some moral support. Mm-hmm wound up long story don't need to hear it but unless you're a zappa <laughs> fan and you probably heard the story before and i just auditioned and i can do certain things and i can't do certain things what i can <laughs> do is i can sight read piano wow okay and, and singing but but piano is like people oh she sings and she can sight read anything you know anything he put in front of me i would sight read wow like typing it's to me it's just like typing um but what i can't do and is a fatal flaw is uh memorize and particularly memorizing four hours of essentially unplayable piano music and be able to transpose and work it was on synthesizers it was like the one of the first years where they had the most primitive synthesizers so Mm -hmm. everything had to be programmed in oh yeah and um so that that was that didn't work out but um (laughs) i did give it my best shot and i really realized early on in rehearsals that 
what I was there for was to make Frank laugh. So he'd say, do you have a saxophone? And I'd say, no. He says, well, get one. So I borrowed a saxophone, could not get a sound out of it except <laughs> some strange honk. So I made it into a comedy thing. I would I would play honk and then I would sing a high D and then I, which I don't even have anymore. Mm -hmm. And then I'd honk again and then he'd fall off of his seat. And I knew, okay, I did good today. You know, <laughs> I brought my violin, which I also cannot play. I had one though. And I would do make terrible sounds and then sing something funny. And then he'd laugh and then I'd feel, <laughs> I'd feel somewhat vindicated that I wasn't uh, just taking up his time and thing. pocketing the, the very nice check I was receiving. Sure. <laughs> so, uh, but aside from just, I guess I'm kind of funny is, but n not intentionally really, or not with a, a career in mind. I, right. I just now I'm associated with these two comedic, you know, musicians who are, happen to both be geniuses. Yeah. And there, it's interesting to see, because when people write me and because they're a fan, I say, okay, Zappa or Weird Al, because right. there's not a lot of, there's some that mm -hmm. is a crossover, but a lot, they're, they're very different kinds of, of people. Sure. Um, I see some crossover, but I don't think <laughs> th they necessarily see the crossover. But. Right. I mean, I know there's at least a minor influence on Al. He did one Zappa style song. Was it in the Poodle Just Hat one. Album? Yes, right, uh, mm -hmm. Hardware Store. Uh, I sang on that. Yes, of course you did. <laughs> of course you did. I but hard, so hardware store is like a Zappa? That's what everybody says. Here's the thing. I am the worst at music. I can sing fine, but I cannot spot a damn thing. I have to read through when somebody, I, I have to read through notes saying, oh, oh, that's what it's referencing. Every once in a while, I'll catch it and I'll feel very proud of myself. But uh, the rest of the time, I'm like, oh, okay, I guess that's Zappa. No idea. I hadn't, I still haven't heard much Zappa my whole life. I don't think it's that one. I think okay. it's another one. What about in Paris? Um, oh, mm, hold on. Uh, oh, Genius in France. Maybe that's why my yeah, brain I is. I think good. that's yep, it. Yep, I think you're right. Mm -hmm. That makes more sense. <laughs> yes. No, because hardware store is supposed to, I don't remember who it was supposed to be. You're right. Thank you. Well, there are going to be people who are angrily tweeting at me and hopefully think <laughs> you you fixed that. One hopes. <laughs> See, this is like, this is what I'm saying. I don't know anything about music. Um, do, so off of you don't have to be Jewish, uh, which again would be, it would be worth a listen again. Uh, I And I, <laughs> of course, I'm, I'm digging through. I'm like, God, I hope all these performers are Jewish. I know that most of them are. I, think I, just... I read, I read that they all were except Valerie harper except for valerie harper that's mm -hmm. so funny um do you have a favorite bit or even a favorite character or a favorite kind of running thing well, through like this anything that lou jacoby's doing i love oh, his yeah but i guess the plot the the diamond mm -hmm. and what's great too about the youtube is that they have the different bits by title and i, I think oh, yeah. they also have who's who's doing it mm -hmm. so that's really helpful to see the names of the of the the cuts um and and then the mother-in-law anything with the mother-in-law i really enjoyed mm -hmm. I, I like the the first album uh almost everything is just a, a especially at the the beginning of the you know the, the first side um everything's stellar and i do hope people give it give it a listen if they mm -hmm. have and i find you know that it's so clean you know it's clean it's mm -hmm. it's, it's just got enough meanness in it to be <laughs> What's the word? Authentic. Sure. But not really. It's there's something clean and wholesome about it. Which yeah. I 
And I am going to go listen to the sequel because I don't know if I heard it as a, if we had it in the house or not. Were there other comedy albums floating about in the house growing up? Not that I remember. Wow, this is the one. That's the one. I love it. Because <laughs> we've talked to before. I've had people on who, like me, are the least Jewish person on the planet, but they still would grow up with some Jewish humor in the house. And I'm always like, so what do you think? Like, what? why did your pi- parents get it? What drew people in? Because, like, Alan Sherman had a huge, huge following, and they, they weren't all Jewish folks. So, we've been, I, you know, it's one of those things where you try and figure out what what are people relating to that is not so specific as Yiddish inflection, Yiddish words, mm-hmm. cultural. Like, there's something in there, and I'm still trying to figure out what it is that is drawing non-Jews in. I mean, I find it hilarious, but. Well, you can be honorary, because I thought you were. Oh, well, see, I'll take that. I, uh, you know, my friend Brett. It is a compliment, a mitzvah. (laughs) (laughs) I I did at one point ask my friend who is my producer of a show that I'm in every month. I'm like, you know, all I've ever wanted was to just grow up and be an old Jewish man. Can you make me an honorary Jew? And he said, sure, you're honorary. Thank you so much. So that's the second part. I I, I second that. Twice. I will take it. I I will say, I also really loved, um, and you know, what's funny is I've seen a bit I've seen this same bit done recently as a video starring uh, uh, Phil Rosenthal, a former guest on the show, uh, Secret Agent James Bondstein, which is so silly and builds up to a very dumb punchline. My God, it's a six minute sketch. It's a six minute sketch where he's just play where it's it's all about egg creams. I mean, it's the most Jewish thing, maybe on the whole thing. New <laughs> York. Ju- it's a very New York yes. thing. Yes. about egg creams. <laughs> and, and it's so, and just obviously trying to, because James Bond was so huge at the time. I don't know. That bit really, for some reason. Well, I have a question me. for yes. you. I have a question. Please. Um, have you cracked the nut mm-hmm. on what makes funny? No. And I don't know if I, I, I'm debating whether I ever would want to try, because I would be the last person who could. Not the last person, but, you know, some people, like, we, we definitely overanalyze comedy on some episodes of this show. That doesn't ruin it for me. For me, that's part of the magic. The, the analysis, the, like, the, the, the parallel I try to draw is we know what chemicals make us feel that we're in love, but that doesn't make love any less magical. So to me, knowing what makes comedy funny is, but honest to God, no. And, and I've had articles about it and mm-hmm. you know, people have written dissertations on the topic, which yeah. are totally not funny, but uh, right. you know, yes. outline all the, the kinds of humor there is. And it's, it's interesting, but when you're just laughing your yeah. head off, it's, it's, I love your analogy about being in love. It's just, it's, it's, it's something is, and I, I'm okay not knowing. I really sure. am. And yeah. <laughs> and I, I think it, it's such a big part of your life. I thought maybe you had it all figured out. I think it's the same as love in terms of, I think we're always just going to be thinking about it and always trying to figure it out. And that's probably also, for me, it's part of it. Like, because I, I enjoy comedy more. I know I've heard and seen comedians say, oh, I can't watch comedies. And to me, that sounds like the most pretentious shit I've ever heard. <laughs> just to be frank. I'm like, well, then why did you get into comedy if you don't love... Watch comedy. Get over yourself for five seconds. Because it is joy. It is literally a thing that is supposed to bring you joy. There are a couple kinds of humor, though, that I've never liked. I've never oh, liked... I'm sure speeches. I've got some, too. Yeah. I don't like people humiliating each other. Fair. Being physically violent. I just never, or, or yeah, being completely embarrassed. Mm-hmm. They're completely embarrassed. But which leads into the second thing. There's a kind of nonviolent 
humiliation that happens like when you get caught doing something mm, mm-hmm. and you're really really nervous about being caught and you're trying to um come up with some excuse to get out of hot water that oh. makes me very uncomfortable and oh, yet yeah. that is still a very common comedic ploy yeah. tool and i i just get really nervous so oh yeah and i get anxious easy no matter what so it's it's one of those things where you... sensitive <laughs> yeah uh-huh so certain types of comedy where i'm like it's fine if that's if that's your thing great but it yeah some of that stuff absolutely throws me and i'm conflict is always a part of of comedy of course yes. but yeah i don't need the unnecessary extra i don't anxiety. know where that line really is mm-hmm. right no i don't know it's uh, it's hard to say I don't know. <laughs> it's one of those things. Again, I've, uh, my favorite quote I think about comedy ever, and I'm gonna I'm gonna screw this up a little bit, is Mel Brooks saying that uh, comedy is uh, sorry, uh, tragedy is I cut I cut my finger on an envelope, and uh, comedy is a man falls down a, a manhole uh, <laughs> in the city, and where it's just like it's just uh, drama, just like takes this one small thing and expands it so much, and comedy is just like just dumb basic gut reaction to something uh it's one of my favorite things it's not per it's imperfect but i still like it mm-hmm. <laughs> uh what uh what other comedy was in the house so I'm, I'm wondering what other kind of stuff did your parents find funny or did you find funny that maybe they did or didn't maybe maybe you had your own sense of humor some kids do <laughs> i didn't not all not i don't right away. think i i don't think i did i was okay. very serious oh all right very very uh, a little arrogant uh, <laughs> Who says that, right? But I'm I'm saying it. I felt like I didn't. I, I felt like an adult in a child's body sure. from a very young age, and I've only felt childlike since I was uh, considered an adult. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, it's not that I wasn't joyful. It's just, and I was, but I was. Um, I don't think I was funny. I wasn't putting. I guess my sister and I would put on little little skits i think we did mm-hmm. I, we may have and i remember um we had a governess who a, a lady who lived with us and was really the the second mom for mm-hmm. us and woke us up in the morning and put us to bed at night and she said i was i was in love with star trek when mm-hmm. i was 10 11 and she said i would come in i don't remember this but i would come into her room and i would just just tell stories and just go off into telling these these stories about that my space travels or I, I, I didn't know because I don't remember it so um, good. I, I don't remember any other comedy except my mom and dad would just say funny things just yeah little and so I think some of the funniest things are when you just you just say one thing just one little short thing and the mm-hmm. pithiness of it just is just funny but I just remember that they were both both funny people and they had their own sense of it but uh i was a good audience i'd say i was i was a better listener when it came to them and then they pick at each other they they you know the picking at each other the bickering was was funny Uh or we when we we have dinner the four of us together my sister and my parents and my dad liked to rile us up now this was not fun but (laughs) He liked to rile us up and, and be very anti-female. Okay. Just, just to see if he could get us upset. Sure. And invariably, sure. he did. Mm-hmm. Dad. So that was it. Dad. <laughs> don't. Dad, that's not. Ah! 
Dads like some dads like to do that. Some dads can be they they know the right buttons to push. <laughs> That's funny. You know what? It's uh, the more I think about it too. I uh, about how you ended up involved in you know in two acts that are obviously very comedic. Uh, two totally different types of comedic acts. I think there's something to be said for attention to detail because um, comedic geniuses can also not necessarily be a-holes, but can be anal retentive for sure. And if it's not right, then it's not like, screw you, but it's like, I can't, you can't help me because comedy depends on specificity. And I feel like somebody who's a mimic and who has that kind of like knowledge of music must have been a huge draw. Yes. It was really nice to be able to play with people who, if not outright demand, I mean, Frank Zappa would demand a, a level of musicianship that you think, I can't do that. I, I, right. I but then you try and you mm -hmm. try and you try harder until you think you can do something that you didn't know that you would ever be able to do. With Al, Al being really, and I don't say this as just a compliment, but as a known fact that, you know, major EQ that um, I would want to be as you know I'd want to please bo both of them but I'd want to please Al so he would you know he would hear what they both needed to hear what they wanted to hear they both mm -hmm. knew what they wanted in that that way they had it in common so I always wanted to make sure I was delivering and pleasing the boss that's how we sure even last year on the tour we would call him the boss because we were there and I, you know, even though I feel like I'm the, the queen of my world, in Al's world, I'm an, I feel like an employee. Sure. And I want to bring to his world my very best um, for whatever, for all the different kinds of reasons that one wants to do that. And I think, I think we all felt, all the musicians have felt that way. You know, I want to, and, and even though he's not, he's not in no way demanding, and he's, in fact, he often uh, wants, other musicians opinions because on some level i think he because he wasn't educated as a musician he's mm, self-taught mm -hmm. uh, i mean yes he played accordion and and well but you know he didn't have the mass i think the the whole college thing was intimidating in some level so um he would ask you know for opinions but in the end he would do what he wanted to do and we would you know if i'd bring a group in to to sing backup like on hardware store a bunch of mm -hmm. the other songs that we you know we had a group he was very kind and, and respectful about all our different experiences and backgrounds and mm -hmm. would ask us. But in the end, we just, whatever I said, we just did it. He yeah. was, it was always not my way. It was always his way, which was fine. Of course. I'm interested uh, in performing with him for that lengthy period of time. Were there any songs of his that were super new to you or ones that you ended up falling in love with because, you know, Ooh. you sort of learned them for the first time? Wow. You know, it's funny because I haven't listened to, I haven't listened to those songs since then. Mm -hmm. When it was over, it was over. Yeah. And I just closed. So I can't even tell you which ones that, um, that I loved. Uh, I, there were a lot that I didn't know. Um, like the, the really love, the biggest ball of twine in Minnesota. Mm -hmm. I was surprised that he did that on the tour because it's so long. Mm -hmm. And um, so that was, you know, there was just the challenge of memorizing long, you know, long, not, not the verses, thank goodness. Mm -hmm. But uh, I mean, I, every song 
well, some of them I'd seen because I'd seen his tours over the years. Sure. So, you know, Devo, you know, I'd seen it a, a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, there were some surprising ones. I, I was I felt bad that we didn't get to do the Michael Jackson because uh, Fat. Oh, right, you know, right, right. Yeah. Is, is one of my all time favorites. I just I think it's such a fun song. And, oh, sure. Uh, it got really hot. It was a super hot summer. And mm-hmm. uh, we had several days of shows outside where it would be like 90 90 degrees and 90 percent humidity Mm. so just for them to get in and out of those devo those neoprene devo suits was Mm -hmm. hard enough and then doing the whole yoda the star wars ending with the stormtroopers and i felt bad about them and then darth vader coming out in his wool outfit (laughs) but the band was wearing wool basically you know layers and layers of their star wars outfits and nobody fell but i thought wow this is you know this is dehydration risk you know nobody fainted as as girls could wear very little if we wanted to so we could stay uh, cooler sure there were some nights where i thought oh this is this is dangerous it's really hard but they just you know show must go on and nobody fainted so it's all it's all good so i can't name i can't think of all the other ones but i didn't get to see a lot of the videos that were playing behind us sure yeah so occasionally, like in a sound check or something, I'd turn around, like, oh, I didn't know that was playing <laughs> behind us. And, and I'd like to we'd get off stage and have little costume changes, whether it was a Devo hat or mm-hmm. I, I, one of my favorites of his is the white and nerdy. It's just oh, sure. awesome. And um, he does it so well. And we'd wear the, the glasses. That was a lot of fun to do. Uh, there was another one that just came in and out of my brain that was, uh, oh, um, very challenging, but mm. I love it. Was the um, blurred? What is it? Not blurred lines. It's uh, word crimes. Yeah. Word crimes. What a genius song that! Wow. Is. Yeah. And, um, and then he'd get out in the audience, and he'd just get all out in people's faces. He'd be in people's laps, and um, I sang had sung on tacky, and which is uh-huh. I love uh, happy. The original one I thought was my 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 favorite pop song for. For a long time is my favorite. Mm-hmm. I just adore it. And when he did Tacky and I, I got to sing on it and be able to do that at night, every night, that was so really, ooh, that really got me. It's like, yeah, that's my song. <laughs> that song. I love it. That's a delight. Um, I want to ask you, because we always like to ask people, if you can condense why give you don't have to be Jewish a listen into a few sentences, what's a good reason to give this a listen? Sometimes it's an easy question. Sometimes it's not. Yeah, well, I, I, I'm trying to think of it's just, is there a universal funny or not? If I don't, maybe you have to be a certain kind of person to think it's funny. Would a guy from Africa think it's funny? I don't, right. I don't know. I, I think it's, it's a very American and mm-hmm. it's charming. And it's the, the words are, everything is there for a reason. Yeah. And the delivery are is, is as good as good as it gets. Yeah. So, it's, if uh, you like comedy and you, lo- you like American comedy, which is what I'm going to assume your listening audience is right. into, I promise you there's no way you're not going to like it. <laughs> Just take my word for it. Listen. Write me, tell me how much you liked it. And also the the notes on on YouTube, you know, this was the 
people would say, and I felt this way too, this was the soundtrack of my childhood. Right. That was my favorite note. I mean, how many, are there other people who f- can say that about a comedy record? Right. This was the soundtrack of my childhood. I mean, I'm, I'm all verklempt, which is <laughs> actually not a, a really a Yiddish word, but thank you anyway, Mike Meyer, for mm-hmm. that one. <laughs> <laughs> Did I this answer is... it okay? Did yes, I do it okay of course you did. No, you you answered it perfectly, I think. I, uh, you know, and it's one of those things, right? I could not tell you why it works so well for me. I just, l- these are my kinds of jokes. And again, as a little boy, I thought I had to be Jewish. Uh, it says you don't have to be, but as a child, I really didn't <laughs> think I had to be Jewish to become a comedian. Um, Lisa, thank you so much. Um, uh, why don't you tell people, this is going to come out this week, so why don't you tell people where they can find you and your classes, and if you've got any projects coming up. Uh, my website is popeel.com, and that's yes. spelled P-O-P-E-I-L.com. Just remember, there's no pie in Popeel. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's about my, my teaching. And I have a lot of products, of videos, CDs, and uh, books. But they're all about learning to sing. Mm-hmm. Um, what else do I have out there? Uh, I've been doing a lot of webinars recently. So, mm-hmm. you know, you can contact me if you're interested in singing. Uh, uh, if you're interested in just knowing where I am. Like this year, I was supposed to be traveling all over Europe. I was, I was, it, today, I was in London. Uh, and last mm-hmm. month, uh, three weeks ago, I was in Grenoble, France. Not. <laughs> and I also canceled uh, conferences and workshops in San Antonio, uh, Philadelphia. My Zappa Festival performance in November in Oslo, Norway just mm-hmm. got canceled. I still have Antalya, Turkey on the schedule for October, <laughs> but that may not happen either. So know. just so all, I'm no more with my travel this year i'll make up for it next year but i have a little thing called the world's tiniest vocal newsletter and it's a way for me to keep in touch with everybody and it can you know i i like to talk to people i like to feel connected so if you want to write me and say how do i'll write you back i love it thank you so much for doing this show it's been really nice um thank you guys for listening uh just check just go to stolendress.com that's where all my other podcasts are listen to the professional blur which is all about extra work and uh work in uh tv commercials background work um and the first season is about to end so go to professionalblur.com for that thank you all for listening and as always have a good thing Comedy on Vinyl is a production of Stolen Dress Entertainment. It is produced by Mike Warden and is hosted and edited by Jason Klom. Our theme song was composed and performed by Richard Levinson. You can email us at podcast at comedyonvinyl.com. You can also send snail mail to Stolen Dress Entertainment, P.O. Box 805, Burbank, California, 91503. Subscribe to Comedy on Vinyl on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you can find podcasts. Give us a five-star rating and write us a review. It helps. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Comedy on Vinyl, or find everything in one place at ComedyOnVinyl.com. A major portion of Comedy on Vinyl has been underwritten by Stand Up Records. Please visit StandUpRecords.com for all your comedy needs and tune in to the new Stand Up Records channel available on the Roku, where you can also find select episodes of this podcast. Visit StolenDress.com to listen to our other podcasts, watch videos, and imbibe freely of our multimedia content going back 15-plus years. Stolen Dress Entertainment. Hey, it's my turn. Ah!